Bob Ambrogi, and welcome to episode 39 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers, and is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. Once again, this is Bob Ambrogi. I'm the uh, publisher of the blog Law Sites and uh, also of the podcast Law Next. And this week we are welcoming Dr. Nancy Halpern. She's a patent attorney at the law firm of Fox Rothschild, but chair of the firm's animal law practice. She's a licensed veterinarian in the state of New Jersey, and she previously served as director of the Division of Animal Health for the New Jersey Department of Agriculture and New Jersey's state veterinarian, and served on the State Board of Veterinary Medicine Examiners. And she is here on this show because she writes the blog Animal Law Update, where she provides commentary on animal law and legal issues. Nancy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. So nice to be here. You have such a fascinating background. Did you start uh, as a veterinarian or start as an attorney? I started as a veterinarian. So I have a very long history in veterinary medicine. I established my own practice after doing some postdoc training at Cornell and Virginia Tech and Illinois, all in large animal, and then was immediately appointed when I returned to New Jersey to the New Jersey Veterinary Medical Association. And through that work, I eventually became the president of the association. And through that work, of course, met veterinarians with all different backgrounds and also became very interested in regulatory veterinary medicine and eventually became the state vet, as you mentioned. And, and at what point did law come into the picture? So this, the state veterinarian position is interesting. It's really an administrative law position. You don't have to be an attorney, but it's where I first kind of married the law with my veterinary training because you you do have to know both. Of course, you work with attorneys when, when you're the state vet, but through that work, one of the first things that I accomplished was supervising the drafting of the Humane Standards of Care for Livestock and Poultry in New Jersey. And New Jersey was the first state to really have a comprehensive standalone regulation governing that care. And we were sued by animal rights groups across the country, pretty much. So I became very familiar and interested in how to properly care and raise animals humanely on the one hand and support those industries from the misrepresentations that unfortunately occur on a daily basis from organizations that do not approve of or agree with our ability to continue to own and use animals humanely. So so did, was that what kind of prompted you to want to go to law school and... and... Yeah, because I, you know, I really saw that it would be important for somebody with boots on the ground experience in veterinary medicine and the law in order to understand how laws get adopted, how to explain things properly, the, really the critical use of words and what they mean and definitions and how um, they can be changed you know, to support your position. So um, 
yeah, when I saw that 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 was often misused, then I thought it was important for me to go to law school, which I did at night while I was still the state vet. Now, when did you come to Fox Rothschild? So uh, as an actual attorney, you know, not as a state vet. So I worked my entire legal career at Fox Rothschild. I started in 2000, you know, 2011. So it's been 10 years, I guess. And, and do you practice as both the patent attorney and doing the animal law work? Yes, I do both. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, I mean, what is your what is your practice primarily today? Is it does it want more one or the other, or kind of a mix of both? Or it's it's a mix of both. It's increasingly more animal law oriented, and that part of my practice is very broad. So, I represent every, any type of animal related industry, from farming and ranching to pharmaceutical companies, dog breeders, pet stores, groomers. Veterinarians, of course, before any regulatory boards, but other entities before regulatory boards, trade associations, litigate, you know, I do litigation in that space. I I rarely do, but sometimes will take cases where people I believe are falsely accused of animal cruelty. I consult a lot on a lot of those cases across the country and represent, like I said, represent people before the examining board. And then I have another part of the practice where I help vets buying or selling their practices and also compounding pharmacies, which are incredibly important in the veterinary space because, for example, there's no approved drug for a rhinoceros, but vets do compound on a regular basis. So that's an increasing area of concern. So it's it's really interesting and brought trust and wills. It's like almost any area of law, there can be a component that is animal law. And because I'm in this large national practice, I can participate in all of those activities with my other colleagues, of course, who specialize in whatever area we're talking about. How common, how many, how common is the practice of animal law sort of across the country? I mean, are there a lot of lawyers who practice in this area or is it kind of a, a, you know, somewhat unique or rare? There are, I think there are increasing numbers. There's, I have no good, people always ask me how many attorneys are also veterinarians. I don't know. There is an association called the AVMLA of American Veterinary Medical Law Association, but you can either be an attorney or that you don't have to be both to join that organization. But certainly more than 20, I would say. And I know many of them, some of them, you know, focus only, for example, on patents because there can be animal related patents, for example. Others just focus on the contract issues and and buying mergers, acquisitions of veterinary practices. There are not a lot that I, whom I have met that do all this body of work. Yeah, yeah. And one, yeah. Oh, and let me also mention there are, because I also teach at at Seton Hall Law, and I'm always, you know, explaining to my students that if they're interested in this area, so if you are an animal rights type lawyer, then there are a number of jobs at the the nonprofit animal rights organizations. So, So some of them have quite a few, a few numbers. 
And, and do you still practice as a veterinarian as well? or <clears throat> I don't, but I have an active license. I practice on my dogs unless <laughs> they need to see, you know, go to a, a veterinary hospital. I don't have, you know, a radiograph machine or anything like that. Yeah, but not but not your partner's dogs. Right. Do, do they, well, do... I get calls all the time, but I don't. I, I do not practice veterinary medicine. Right. Right. It's it's probably a, a, a double curse at, at cocktail parties because people want legal advice and uh, animal advice, right? So I know that you've published this blog, Animal Law Update, since 2013. I, I have to ask the corny question. Do, do people ever joke with you about the fact that you are at the Fox Law Firm and do the Animal Law Update? Yeah. No, but I, I often use the Fox in my slides. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, going back to, to 2013, it sounds like you joined the firm in 2011 and uh, started the blog in 2013. What, why did you want to start a blog about this? So that was the time that I established, well, I requested that the firm allow me to establish the animal law practice group. And so I, it was part of my business plan, you know, and as I was learning how to be a litigator, an IP litigator. I was also building this practice and it, it grew to uh, a level where I thought that I would be supported in establishing the practice. So I'm not, I, like I said, I work with a lot of other attorneys and at the law firm who are interested. A lot of the cases are really fascinating. There, there's a lot of constitutional law issues, so they can be very challenging and people are interested in the topics generally. So it was part of the business plan to do both and to get more national exposure. And I also encourage our summer associates that we've been fortunate to continue, you know, even through COVID and, and they kind of work in every different type of area of law. And so I like to engage them at that level and have them write a blog. So I'm not the only author, I'm the primary author primary author of the blog, but to get them interested in this area of law. And the best way to do that is to write about. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about primary authors, because it looks to me like just going through the blog, most of it is you. I mean, you you write most of it and you write pretty frequently. You're, you're This isn't an occasional uh, pastime for you. Yeah, no. Um, I, I try to write four blogs a month, sometimes there'll be more if something has happened and I want to get an alert out to um, different industries or people if, you know, USDA changes their policies, things like that. I, I think it's it, it can be a valuable tool, tool. And I intentionally keep the blog short. That's the one thing that the, the associates, um, summer associates, you know, often they, they're, they're, writing as if they're in law school. So, you know, they're, they're right. They want to write a law review article or something. Right. And so we just split it up. I mean, it actually increases their exposure because people, I don't think people want to read much when they're reading a blog. I mean, that's, that's not the, the tool that I would use for that. So I keep it short and to the point. What are there particular topics you do cover or don't cover, or you kind of cover the gamut of, of animal law? I, I don't think there are any topics I don't cover. I mean, clearly, you know, we, we have an obligation at, across the firm to our clients, to firm clients. So I'm not going to write something negative about a firm client. 
I, I tried to talk in generalities about, you know, what this law is and what it could do to X, Y, and Z so that people will understand the, sometimes they're, they're intentional results from laws that are passed and sometimes they're unintentional or people just don't, you know, realize what, what the impact could be. Yeah. And, and who do you write it for? Who do you see as, or who do you know to be or think to be the, the, the primary audience for the blog? Generally, I think the, the people I'm trying to reach are people that are interested in the topic and maybe haven't, if, if you've already made your mind up that you think testing using animals to help save the world, like we've just seen with COVID vaccines and treatment, then you're, I'm probably not going to reach you if, if you made your mind up. But I think a lot of people haven't or don't even know that there are issues that should be addressed. Right. Yeah, I would think more people are are just not very well informed at all about this area as as an area of law. I mean, they're, they're, they people have pets and, and think about their pets uh, as as loved ones in many ways, or or you know as as parts of their family even and whatever else. But I, I I suspect most sort of just you know people who aren't involved in 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 a related industry in some way kind of just don't even think about legal issues right. around around right. animals much. And there are many, many, yeah. many, many. <laughs> right. Right. The one of the Fox Rothschild as, as a law firm has a lot of blogs. Uh, I was checking this morning. I counted thirty three blogs at at the firm. Is is there kind of is there kind of a firm culture around blogging? I mean, is it, do you know does the firm really kind of support blogging or encourage blogging, or is it just kind of up to the particular lawyers involved? Oh, they, they support they support blogging. They support a lot of social media. Outreach. I don't do a lot in other areas, but they certainly support that kind of work. Yeah. Do they help you? How do you kind of promote your blog or, or get it out there? Does, does the firm work with you on that? Yeah. So we have a marketing department. So anytime I need assistance with any particularity of, you know, if something isn't working right or whatever, I like to link to other blogs, you know, if I'm writing about cannabis or one of our associates was recently worked with me on cannabis issues in animals. And so we try to link to other blogs that are related so that the audience understands our capability across the firm. So we, we try to cross market in many ways, including the use of blogs. Yeah. And I know Fox Rothschild does have a, I forget what it's called, but they have a cannabis-related uh, blog of some kind. What what are the cannabis issues really for in animal law? I hadn't thought about that. Well, so there's been very little research. There's been some research that's been conducted on any benefit that it, mostly companion animals would have for cannabis products or for hemp, like CBD-related products. But the issues would be from FDA's perspective that, you, you know, you can't label, promote, or advertise those products if you're doing so as a drug or to change a body structure. I mean, that's where they would, they would 
not be pleased and would say that you are violating their laws. So there are a lot of growing issues. And then there are also concerns because I guess there have been an increased number of calls to the poison centers across the country when it's been mostly dogs, I think, that have gotten a hold of their owners' cannabis products and have gotten quite sick. So, I mean, in some cases, like if it's if, it, if there's cannabis in a brownie or something, you know, they could get sick both from the cannabis and from the chocolate. But so are people giving their pets CBD or, or cannabis or it's just more by accident? Well, I don't know. I don't know specifically, but I know that the <laughs> issue is of concern enough to veterinary boards that some have prohibited veterinarians from even discussing the issue with their clients, which I think is not terribly smart. And others like California has regulations now as to what you can say and, and how you have to couch whatever it is you're, you're telling your clients, because of course the vet is going to be the best source of that kind of information for somebody who is seeking that information instead of just going to Dr. Google and finding out whatever it is they want to find out there. Nancy, how do you keep up with topics in your area to have stuff to write about? How do you find the, the, the stories and, and keep up with what's going on in the field? So I do it through a number of ways. I, I, I'm still a veterinarian. I'm still very interested and involved in various organized veterinary medicine. So I'm a member of in the AVMA, which I've been for decades now. I recently rejoined the AAZV, American Association of Zoological Veterinarians. That was an, an area of interest of mine. And I, I practiced in many zoos as I was, when I was in vet school. So, and then I'm also a member of law associations, various groups across the country, and participate um, in listservs for various groups. So there are a number of different ways that I keep informed on the board of directors of the New Jersey Association for Biomedical Research, for example. And I just, you know, read a lot and see a lot that, that's going on. Yeah. And you said that you generally try and write once a week more if there's something uh, important. How, how do you, I mean, do you have kind of routine around that? How do you balance the time spent on your on your law practice and your legal work and, and your blogging? So that varies. That varies with how, how busy I am or not. Like I might just take, you know, a couple days, like a weekend and just work on blogs for that month. I'm, I'm always like, identifying I'm going to, I want to write about that, or I want to write about that. So I'll get a case, a couple of cases and set them aside. If I'm speaking, which I do often, I try to turn that into a blog if it's, you know, a new topic. And then when I'm teaching, then I have to keep up to speed on, on everything because I'm teaching whatever the latest information is to students. So, mm -hmm. uh, but it is a balancing act very much so. Yeah. So you had said earlier that when you started this blog in 2013, it was part of your business plan, part of your, your plan for, for establishing and building the practice. How has the blog worked out as part of that plan? I mean, has it in fact helped to build the practice in yes, any way? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I've gotten national attention. 
about various topics like, for example, retail rescue, which has replaced the pet store model, essentially, under the false banner that pet stores sell puppies from puppy mills. I mean, that's a whole area of, of real, very serious misinformation that has not helped dogs and it doesn't help people that want to get the right dog for their family. So I've been on other radio shows, for example, and, and I, I guess I, you know, I don't manipulate my blog or manipulate myself to get like on when you're doing a Google search, you know, how your name comes up, but I know it does come up and, and people that contact me from across the country have said that they found me through those kinds of searches. So they all work together in a magical way sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of magical, but uh, yeah, so they find you, they find you, they, I mean, they're probably doing Google searches, they find you and, and, and you get mentioned in the media, you mentioned earlier, you speak a lot, of, d- d- I assume some of those speaking engagements probably come because of your blog as well, is that fair to say? Or, yeah. yeah, it's like a, a cyclical, yeah. it's a cyclical process. Yeah, yeah. Have, have, has the blog kind of changed or evolved at all? I mean, in terms of what you write about or what your interests are or how you write a blog post, you know, have you, have you learned anything about blogging that's, that's caused you to do it differently as over the years or change it in any way? Well, so I haven't really examined that. I, I try to write as objectively as possible, even though I can be passionate about a certain topic. So I'll usually write the blog and then rewrite it at least, you know, once or twice. If there are issues where you feel, I was actually going to ask you about that because we were talking earlier about this idea of like personhood for animals. If there are issues that you're writing about where you have a strong opinion or not even a strong opinion, if you have an opinion, to what extent do you put that out there on the blog? And to what extent do you, as you just said, try and be more objective or or centered on it? So I... That depends on the topic. So like right now, there are, I hate to say that it depends, but it does. There are a couple of... That's, that's not the veterinarian answer. That's the lawyer answer, right? <laughs> no, that's true. You know, there, there are usually <laughs> at least three options when an animal is sick on how to deal with it. There are a couple of constitutional referendums that are trying to make their way onto ballots in Oregon and um, Colorado right now that would essentially ban animal agriculture based on their, uh, what their proposals are, are to exclude the exemptions that currently exist in the animal cruelty statutes that permit routine husbandry practices, for example, or breeding, or, and also redefine criminal acts, sexual acts against animals by essentially including breeding of livestock as a sexual act or castrating an animal as a sexual act. So these would be then criminal acts. So that I'm, I am opposed to that because I, I, I believe strongly in our animal agriculture. It's a evolving field. I know a lot about it as the former state vet was my job to protect livestock and poultry in New Jersey and and you know these techniques that have developed over time by universities and scientists and farmers and veterinarians have developed to protect the animals as well as people. 
And, and a lot of people don't understand that, that when you house swine inside, for example, you know, you're eliminating the environmental changes that can harm them, the parasites, the predators, um, even diseases in some cases. So these things evolve over time. And I don't think, I think they're to everybody's benefit and not everybody is a vegan. Right. Uh, you know, you said earlier that the blogging has brought opportunities, you know, contacts with the media or, or uh, speaking engagements. What about clients? Do you know whether it's actually, whether any clients have actually kind of come to you because they've discovered you through the blog or as an indirect result of the blog? Or? Um, it, it, I'm trying to remember if anybody said specifically it was through the blog. I mean, they, they'll usually say, you know, through the internet. Right. The internet, or they heard you on the radio, or they saw right, you speak. Right. Or... It all works. It all yeah. works together. It's like, you know, a cycle. But it, it, I think it's, I think it, for me, it's been a very helpful tool. And, you know, if nothing else, it keeps me informed about what I need to be informed about in order to, to advocate for my clients. Would you have any advice to share for others who other legal professionals who who blog or who are just starting a blog any any uh, any tips that, that you've learned along the way that uh, you'd want to share well i for me it's it's like every other part of my practice in life really is really to try to follow your passion and you know that's part of it i, I think if it were if i were just blogging because somebody told me i had to blog that would not be a good thing <laughs> But if you're passionate about what you're doing, which I am, then it's just a natural extension of that. And so I would say to anybody, regardless of what field you're in, you know, to follow your your passion and work hard to obtain where it is you want to be. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to do that and help people and animals along the way. Yeah, well, it's it's clear from talking to you that you're passionate about this, and and that you are uh, lucky to be uh, in this position that combines these these interests into uh, a way that you can put them to the benefit of others and to animals. So, well, well, thank you very much for speaking with us today about blogging. It's been a pleasure to uh, talk to you. Good. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks. So, thanks again to Nancy for for joining us today and. If you haven't yet, be sure to peruse our full library of shows wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, drop us a quick rating or review. We'd appreciate it. And lastly, head to lexblog.com slash twilb. That's This Week in Legal Blogging, T-W-I-L-B, for outlines of each and every show we've done. On behalf of myself and everybody at Lexblog, thanks for listening. <laughs>